Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, I'm joined this week by the Reverend Catherine Price, chaplain of Queen's College, Oxford, to talk about an article she's written for this week's Church Times. It's on what the Church of England can learn from Slimming World. Catherine, welcome to the Church Times podcast. Thank you, Ed. It's great to be with you. Can I start by asking what prompted you to join Slimming World and, and what the experience was like? Yeah, so it was actually while I was in my curacy. And I think, reflecting on this, what I was probably looking for in retrospect was to get a bit more control back over my life at a time of great you know, change and um, a time that was very unsettled in my life, which I guess is spiritually interesting in itself, because should we as Christians be looking for control in our lives or should I have been more willing to let God have control, if you like, and, and, and relinquish that? But I do think that that was probably psychologically uh, the motivation. I mean, in a, in a more shallow sense, I was looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, I'm not attractive anymore. And, you know, I was about in my early 30s. It's an insecurity that I think a lot of women, um, maybe men as well, but a lot of women have at that, at that age. And, and I just didn't feel like myself anymore. Um, but I think it was also, reflecting on it, it was also having an impact on my spiritual life. You know, that sense of just not being comfortable in my own body. I distinctly remember going on retreat and sitting there doing that thing that you you sometimes do of kind of centering prayer of trying to be aware of your body and just being aware of how big my body was <laughs> and and of, and and that really was a block for me because I had this shame again that I think is is something a lot of people will be relating to who have had struggles with their weight that that shame and that sense of being very self-conscious about my body and very uncomfortable in my body I mean ironically now you know now I'm in my late 30s I've had a baby I'm I'm just not self-conscious about my body at all anymore because when I was pregnant seriously I walked around six months pregnant and people didn't notice and I realize now that People are not looking at you in the way that you think people are looking at you. People are not actually noticing things and judging things in the way that you yourself judge them. But at the time, I think it it became this block for me in a lot of, of ways. Um, and, and in terms of you, you asked as well what it was like mm. going to, to Slimming World. I think, I mean, the funny thing is that I, I went, I almost like came into the room backwards. You know, that was how reluctant I was I was really sort of skeptical about it and I think it was it it reminds me of the way sometimes that people who are are coming into church for the first time the way they defend themselves and and say things like well I'm not religious I'm just here for this or or that I was doing exactly the same thing because I was so afraid of setting myself up for fail failure I was just convinced that I couldn't lose weight and so that was the barrier for me like how do you commit to something which you need to commit to in order to to achieve that uh, 
when then you might fail you know it's it, it felt very very risky to be honest um but then once I was there very very quickly there was this fantastic sort of bonding experience really there was a lot of laughter it is a, a mostly female group it's not exclusively female but it you know it just happens that it's maybe 90 percent uh, of the people in my group were were women and I think there was that kind of that environment in which we could be quite open um not about kind of intensely personal things but certainly about things about our weight and our eating habits that we were embarrassed about and to be able to share that with one another and to have and to, to have a laugh you know that that was a, a great bonding experience and, and is it right to say that Slimming World is about empowering members really to commit to a new way of life so it's, it's more than just mm. a, a quick fix for the period of time that they're seeking to lose weight yeah I mean I would say yes and no certainly Slimming World that is the way it it pitches itself and that's why they don't use the word diet they talk about an eating plan because what you don't want to get into which so many people have experienced is this yo-yoing of weight that you you stick to something for a while you lose the weight but then you haven't actually established those habits that will keep it off and and actually it it goes on worse uh, afterwards And, and many people have experienced that so in that sense Yes, it is about um, finding, about committing to something more long-term. In terms of whether I've committed to it long-term, I mean, yes, in the sense that I have mostly kept the weight off. The last lockdown has been a bit of a nightmare. Um, but, but basically, I think it has worked in the long-term for me. But would I say I'm on plan now? No, I'm not. I'm not on plan. I, I'm not properly following everything. But I think I've learned certain certain habits or certain little tricks and tips that have made a big difference I mean for me it's things like cooking with cooking spray rather than with oil it's those kind of hidden calories it didn't occur to me how many calories that I was putting into myself through cooking with olive oil or um, fat having fat-free yogurt rather than full-fat yogurt you know little things like that that are actually very very easy to build into your life without almost noticing them and one of the main points of your piece in the Church Times is, is about how improving your physical health at Swimming World made you mm. then think about transforming your spiritual health mm. in a similar way. Could you could mm. you say something about that that thought process? Yeah. So I mean, the article started off life many years ago, back in 2015, as a um, a post on my now long defunct blog. And at that point, I was really just raising a few questions I mean food for thought if you don't mind uh, mind the pun um so I think what I found was that you know at the same time and for the same reasons really going into curacy a lot of stuff was was happening in my my life at that time for the same reason as well as my weight being out of control my my prayer life was not at all where I wanted it to be um and what really struck me was just the contrast that I'd, I'd learned at Slimming World, I'd realized by going through that, I'd realized that I actually did have the willpower and the discipline to make changes in my life that that had a tangible difference. But I was thinking, hang on a minute, I, I wasn't even massively motivated to lose weight. It wasn't my number one priority. My prayer life, which is a much bigger priority for me, why don't I have that discipline there? 
and and sort of realizing that actually as human beings we are capable of a lot more than we think we are i mean if you look at say the muslim community during ramadan and the the fasting that they do that quite often people outside that community just think that's impossible well it's not impossible because they're doing it together as a community or even people who you know run marathons i mean i'm never i'm never ever ever doing that um <laughs> but people are actually capable of a lot more than they think but you know what are the conditions that enable that what are the conditions that make that possible and i was wondering why is it that this really quite simple group the slimming world group was enabling me to make the changes that i wanted to make in my life to lose weight and the church for whatever reason you know that surely should be exactly the group which is enabling me to make changes in my life uh, in my spiritual life and somehow that wasn't happening for me and that that just raised that question for me I think and you also write about how you weren't just a slimming world convert but an evangelist for it in a a natural way and you say yeah. in a natural way, you'd never quite pulled off when talking about your faith. I mean, why do you think you found it easier to be an evangelist for Slimming World rather than it for It was so faith? interesting. It was so interesting for me because I'd heard so often about this idea of interpersonal evangelism, that somehow you just start up a conversation with a colleague or a friend or someone you meet in the street and you happen to talk about Jesus. And it just, you know, I'm not saying I never had those conversations. I did have those conversations with people I knew well. But in terms of those things just happening, I don't think that they had. And when I was when I was starting to lose weight with Slimming World, it just seemed to happen all the time that either someone would see me choosing a healthy option and say something like, oh, but surely you you don't need to eat healthily because by this point, I, you know, I'd lost weight. And I would say, oh, but, you know, I wasn't always like this. It's because of Slimming World. Or, or people would just, people who'd known me for a period of time would just say, oh, my goodness, you know, you've lost a lot of weight or, or, or some slightly more tactful variant of that. <laughs> You're looking well. You're looking well. Um, and so it was just really easy to say, oh, yeah, I'm on Slimming World. And, you know, I have, as a priest, you know, with the dog collar, that starts similar kinds of conversations that they're often, you know, rather, rather more difficult than that and rather deeper than that. But I, I really, I'm in awe, frankly, of any lay person who doesn't have that kind of obvious in, who does manage to have those conversations about faith in that, in that natural way. Um, And I guess, I guess it's a challenge to all of us, isn't it, as Christians, is there anything about my life that is, visible that is distinctive that is actually going to make someone comment and go oh how come you're like that Um, and I think we'd all say that you know we can see the changes in our lives we know that that our faith is making that difference but is it making the kind of the kind of visible difference that other people notice I think that's a challenge for all of us you also write about with the with the church things of declining in numbers and there's mixed ecology and other Mm -hmm. mission efforts I guess fresh expressions, mm-hmm. church planting, and a lot of those do involve small groups, mm-hmm. um, either alpha groups or discipleship mm-hmm. groups, etc. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, Slimming World's model is is a small group. Did did you see similarities between the two, or anything that churches could learn from in the way that Slimming World operated small groups? Yeah, and and I and I'm I'm glad you've asked the question kind of in that way because what I don't want to do is to say, oh yes, of course, the church should be more like Slimming World or or somehow 
there are easy answers because I think what we've seen over the past well many years now is that there aren't easy answers we can't just import some kind of initiative or some kind of model and then suddenly there will be thousands of new disciples it, it doesn't happen like that and if I had those answers you know I would be out there doing it um, but I guess there's two different things I'd, I would I would say about that one on a more practical thing and, and one on a sort of bigger strategic thing um, in terms of how the groups were run I think there was a lot of firstly I'd say there was a lot of spiritual wisdom there that I have drawn on in working with people in my pastoral care so for instance the sort of wisdom of knowing that you have to do something that is simple it has to be something you can stick to it has to be you know people say pray as you pray as you can not as you can't you know it's that kind of practicality uh, recognizing that one bad day is not doesn't reset the clock it's not kind of don't conceptualize it as kind of falling off the wagon and starting again from scratch it's one bad day put it in the context of of many good days um, I think it's starting off with that confidence that this is going to work. This is going to make a difference. You might not see a difference every week, but it is, is going to make a difference. So I do think that there was a lot of practical wisdom there. I think sometimes we overemphasize the idea of willpower as something that exists in a vacuum where it's just like confronting temptation, you know, resisting. I don't not eat unhealthy food by standing in front of a fridge full of unhealthy food and resisting it. I make sure that what I've got in my house, I go shopping when I'm not hungry and make sure that what I've got in my house is healthy. You know, there are ways of approaching temptations in our life, whether they are about eating or whether they are more significant sins um, that are actually about practical, concrete, straightforward steps that you can do to make, to make that easier uh, and I think sometimes you know in in spiritual life we sort of overemphasize attitude we sort of imagine that our problems in life are all problems of attitude yeah I could have spent my time struggling with getting a better sense of my body image in prayer or I could just lose weight you know sometimes the external circumstances can be changed and are what need to change rather than always focusing on it just being a question of our own attitude to life so I mean I think there were a lot of, of practical things you can learn about how to run a small group the way that it was very interactive you know each one of us in that group got to say something each one of us um, was essentially being accountable and being affirmed by others it was never just a kind of um, spectator thing it was never just the person standing at the front talking it was very interactive and I, I should say at this point that you know I myself came to faith through Coral Evensong so I, I'm not suggesting that um, a small group model is a, is a replacement or, or, or is the only approach um, but what I would say from a sort of bigger and you know maybe more maybe more contentious point is there is something about that intensity of the fact that our consultant the, the leaders of the groups are called consultants and they're they're actually franchise holders essentially but they're all recruited from the membership so they've all been through the program themselves 
they are invested in your progress. So they are monitoring the progress of all of the people that are on their books. If you need a bit of extra help, one thing they might do is, is get you to write a food diary. So you're writing down everything you're eating for a week and, and they're looking at it and giving you advice. You know, they might text you through the week to give you a bit of encouragement. And what I've found here as well as a chaplain in a university context is that it is that one-on-one connection of the fact that I, the students that I work with, I know them personally, I know what they're going through, and I can give them that time and that attention. And I was actually talking just yesterday to uh, a chaplain in a, in a different higher education context. You know, I have 650 people here at that university. There are 10,000 people for one chaplain. And I get a lot more engagement here, not just proportionally, but actually in absolute numbers. I, I get a lot more involvement with students here because there is that much much uh, greater ratio of of clergy to, to students and so I do fear that the direction that the church is going in of reducing the number of people who have who are able to give their full time to ministry and to supporting individuals in their spiritual journey that there isn't there isn't really a substitute for that especially in in the modern world you know I've, I've heard missionaries say that once upon a time it would take a few months for a, a student for instance from an unchurched background to come to faith and now it's taking more like two years people do there is more of a mountain to climb there and we we do need to put the resources in there isn't actually a substitute for that that's that's my experience i was also interested in how people approach slimming well perhaps with a a hunger or a specific need Mm -hmm. um and what do you think the reasons for people joining churches are more complex is it harder to identify a Mm. single people go to slimming world with it's mainly to lose weight i mean yeah totally it is to lose weight um although like i said i think there are some deeper psychological things that are always associated with that in terms of you know there's normally a reason why somebody has put on weight that might be sort of around emotional eating Um, it might not be it might be just you know you like food um but yeah i think this is a really really good point that there's a very obvious way in to slimming world um there is a there is a barrier to, to to overcome there I think in the sense that recognizing that you are overweight because of what I was saying about this sense of of shame that associates that attaches to that that actually being able to acknowledge to yourself and to others yeah actually I I do weigh more than I want to and I want to change that and I need to change that that is a barrier to overcome but at the same time I think it's a very socially acceptable thing particularly for a woman to admit I think most maybe not most yeah no probably most women that you speak to have had some kind of issues around their body image or whatever so it's a very socially acceptable thing to say yeah I I realize I've put on weight and I want to lose it and I'm going to go to this group to do that whereas I think with what people are searching for when they go 
to church. I've, I've just actually been reading um, Viktor Frankl recently, Man's Search for Meaning. I mean, that that strikes me as as very, very true, that everybody is seeking some kind of meaning in life. And I think plenty of people nowadays are turning to techniques that seem to offer a way to that sense of meaning and particularly uh, mindfulness for instance there are there are obviously a lot of a lot of overlap or a lot of parallels between some of those techniques for psychological well-being and spiritual techniques both in the christian tradition and other traditions but i do think i do think you're you're absolutely right that it's it's a much harder thing to articulate a much harder thing to identify, a much harder thing certainly to admit to, unless you maybe phrase it in almost mental health terms. I think it's much harder for someone who doesn't want to see themselves in that sort of pathologizing way to actually admit, no, I I am searching for something and to articulate what that something might be. And I think the other barrier that we have is that people certainly in this country, in this culture, think that they already know what Christianity is. They think they know what it offers. They think they know that it doesn't work. And so I think that that, that is quite a mountain to climb to, to get to, um, to reach people in that way. But I do think the important thing is that it's that Evelyn Underhill quote, isn't it? God is the interesting thing about religion. That we do need, I think, to be confident in saying that we do have something to offer, which is something that people want and need, which is a relationship with God. And the barriers to people coming into church are not, it's not simply the case that if we made it all a lot easier and more convenient, that somehow people would be flocking into church. Actually, what we need to do is to communicate that interesting thing, that fascinating thing, that we have to offer, which is a relationship with God in Jesus Christ. You also acknowledge in the piece that you, you say that the notion of weight as a barometer of moral strength is ubiquitous and note that this can be harmful, especially to people with eating disorders. And I think, I think that's something that some people reading your piece or listening to this might mm. point out. And um, I was thinking about the very high proportion of, of, of women on Slimming World courses. I mean, does, does that suggest that we, we need to be aware that some of this is societal pressure to look in a certain way or, or conform to certain norms of 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 body weight and, and body image and how does this the slimming world address that or, or, or is there an argument yeah. that they prey on those kind of fears i think i think what is great about slimming world is it's very very healthy attitude so for instance they will not let you set a target weight which is below a healthy bmi um, I mean, they do use BMI, which I realize is now considered a little bit out of date. Um, but, you know, as a sort of rule of thumb, they do use BMI, but they won't let you set a weight that is underweight. And they will let you set a target where you are losing weight, but you are still well within being overweight. So I think that's part of what makes it healthy. Another thing that is that their slogan is love food, love food optimizing, which is what they describe their, their plan as food optimizing. So they're very much trying to overcome that sense that many people who struggled with their weight have of a really sort of love-hate relationship with food and, and feeling 
uncomfortable around food almost I mean I remember the the consultant saying you know if you're looking at your weekend and you're saying I've got birthday I've got a party I've got a holiday whatever and you're going oh no it's going to be a really tough weekend that's awful I mean that's really really sad if you look at this great weekend and, and, and all you're thinking about is this is going to be terrible for my weight and I'm going to feel so bad afterwards because I've eaten too much so the focus is on how do you how do you have those techniques which give you the control which mean that you can then go along to an event where there's going to be a lot of food and you can enjoy yourself and you can enjoy that food and not come out of that feeling guilty and self-conscious and beating yourself up about it so I think it's got a very um positive attitude but I would also say coming back to the first point you made about eating disorders and body image I think there is um possibly a a a myth or not a myth but an overstatement of the idea that eating disorders and body image problems are about the social pressure to look beautiful or to look attractive or to look a certain way I think you know I'm sure that's that's a factor or an element uh certainly when you know if you turn on the television and all the people you're seeing who are celebrated are smaller than you you know that that does have a an impact but I think coming back to the very first thing I said about control that very often what people are actually seeking when they are seeking to control their weight or control their eating is a sense of control in a life that feels out of control and I that certainly with the students that I work with I think is a is a much bigger factor and so part of I guess what is healthy for me with Slimming World is that idea of saying you can have that control in a way that is balanced in a way that is healthy in a way that isn't sort of replacing one addiction with another almost uh, one extreme with another perhaps. Finally, are there areas in which the church cannot simply replicate what Slimming World does? I think that what what the church cannot replicate and should be very cautious about trying to replicate is about immediate measurable results. Because the, the big the big difference is that at the start of every Slimming World session, you are weighed. And so you can see what progress you have made and you are you are being measured on a very it's a very simple single metric whereas a person's spiritual life is something massively massively more complex than that and I think there is an argument for saying that any notion of I think I think there's a range of views amongst spiritual teachers over the centuries about whether spiritual progress is a valid category at all and I I don't feel like I can necessarily pronounce on that myself but I do think that there is there are there are risks if people approach their spiritual life in in terms of measurable progress which is either that they become very discouraged when they don't see immediate results or they judge their spiritual life by superficial things like how how good they feel when they're praying or they compare themselves with others and it becomes something competitive so I think it would be you know it would be wonderful in a way if there were 
a way of being able to measure our spiritual progress in a way that that was valid and didn't have all of those downsides but I I, I suspect there really there really isn't and as I said it, it may just be not a valid approach um, I do think though that one thing one thing we perhaps could learn from I, I've been aware that we've been using in the church the word discipleship a lot and I personally I personally love that word I personally very much think that what I'm about is is helping disciples to grow in their discipleship and yet I am also aware that many people feel quite threatened by that they feel quite defensive about that because the way that they hear that is that their life of faithfulness over perhaps many decades is not being valued um that they're starting to feel you know am I am I not a good enough Christian by whatever the modern you know measurement is and I think actually the the word that I wanted to to focus on um to emphasize is this notion of shame because more and more and especially again in my work with students and the pastoral work that I do I see that shame is the big spiritual problem uh the big problem in society almost uh and um in morning prayer we've we've just been starting again the start of genesis and that moment in the fall the very first thing that happens is they hid from him in the garden because they were naked and they were ashamed the first consequence of the fall is shame and shame is is the barrier to us facing up to our need to change things in our lives and being able to start making those changes which is why I'm, I'm totally against any kind of public health policy that is based on fat shaming you know telling people they're fat and they're unhealthy you know what they probably know that and and telling them that is reinforcing in their minds that they're not good enough that they can't make a change that they that they don't have the willpower whereas instead if you're focusing on this is where I think that there is a real parallel between slimming world and the gospel focusing on human dignity and saying you are a beloved child of God yes you have fallen yes you have sinned but fundamentally you are someone who can with God's help be everything that he is calling you to be you know starting from that positive rather than starting from the negative I think is what is essential thank you for listening to this week's episode of the church times podcast you can find more news analysis comment and book reviews on our website churchtimes.co.uk if you are not yet a subscriber to the church times you can try your first 10 issues for just 10 pounds you'll get the paper delivered to your door every friday plus full access to our website and digital archive go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more